The guy who's about to join us, I know he's a Penrith Panthers fan. Uh, also, we've got the Queensland Derby coming up later on today. Women's World Cup, well, let's get down to business. What a week. Uh, our Matildas, 4-0 winners against Canada. What a performance by them. But the one that really caught my eye, I mentioned it last weekend, was the Philippines up against New Zealand. And I don't know if you've done any Googling on the Philippines. Their population's over 100 million. So can you imagine what this does back home? We'll find out now. Uh, another standing ovation. Alan Stachich joins us, former Mariners head coach, and has guided the Philippines in their Women's World Cup campaign. Good morning, mate. Welcome back to Saturdays on the Coast. Hey, Steve. How Gary? How are you going? I was out at that game last night, so I watched my mighty Panthers uh, get another win, so all looking good this morning. Oh, gee, they're going to be hard to beat. They just absolutely wipe the floor with another contender. But let's uh, talk about your incredible journey, mate. So the Philippines, firstly, can you tell us how that came about and then tell us your thoughts of this FIFA Women's World Cup campaign? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a long story, but uh, we were in COVID. Uh, I got a call from a friend, Jimmy Fraser, and he said, look, would you be interested in um, doing a 10-week camp with the Philippines and prepare them for the Asian Cup? and try and qualify them for their first ever World Cup. And it was probably a thousand to one shot of getting through to the World Cup. But, you know, having been in COVID for three or four months and locked down, anything looked like a good prospect. So we ventured out. We had a 10-week camp in America, you know, it's almost 18, 20 months ago now. And, you know, we won our first game at the Asian Cup against Thailand, which ended up being the first win against Thailand in the country's history. And almost the rest is history. You know, we really just progressed from there and went on a trajectory that that not many people thought we could and probably revitalized and reinvigorated the game back in the Philippines where where it's probably even got a lower standing than it does here in Australia it's really a lower tier sport so you know gave the people in the country a lot of hope and hopefully a lot of inspiration as well yeah Alan Gary Birkinshaw here mate mate just with the Philippines so how big is women's football actually in the Philippines you said you had to qualify you're talking about your first win and things like that so how actually big is it in uh in the Philippines yeah look back when we started it was look I, I won't say non-existent but just you know there's a lot of a lot of poor structures in place grassroots is barely functioning there's just enough for for people to have a bit of a kick around it's really basketball that's number one then by country mile and not many other sports get a look in. There's a little bit of volleyball, a little bit of boxing, but, but nothing else really. So, you know, when we started winning things and qualifying for things, like it started to get a little bit of attention and notoriety. Uh, but this World Cup's just, you know, as we know, World Cups can do. They just take things to a new level. And there was watch parties with thousands watching in shopping centres and, and people gathering around TV sets watching it and getting engaged with the game for the first time. So it wasn't even really about women's football. It was just the first time that football had really captured the imagination of the nation. So, Stadge, you know, I guess I've got a foot in both camps. My mum's from New Zealand, and so we watched them in the first game defeat Norway, and then I'm cheering for New Zealand as much as I'm cheering for the Matildas, and you cause a massive upset in the second game. Let's just roll in this audio from headquarters and relive this magical moment of the Philippines. Try and test that New Zealand defence. Here comes another one. Just well hit by Bowen. Retrieved again and lifted in for Bowen, who has scored the Philippines' first ever goal at a World Cup.
That's a moment! And there are portions of this stadium in Wellington that are adoring this. Yeah, there we go. That audio courtesy of Optus Sport. Now, Stadge, that's got to be one of your proudest moments in football. Goosebumps. <laughs> Beating New Zealand in front of 32,000 down there in Wellington, that was just goosebumps. Um, you know, for me, any goal that we scored at this World Cup, any point, um, would have been miraculous, beyond miraculous, uh, for a country to get there for the first time. And, and just to compete would have was a miracle. And, um, you know, to, to get a goal and, and a win was was beyond what we ever thought, you know, could actually happen. And to do it against a home nation when they were on a high and essentially we knocked them out as well. So sorry to say, Steve, but um, like there were seven or 8,000 Filipino fans there out of the 32, which was also, you know, a legacy that will hopefully last forever. That They've got the passion, they've got the, the game in their blood now and hopefully it just keeps growing from this point on. Yeah, what got me out of that audio then was just the noise. Like you've actually scored against the home nation. Normally that creates silence. But the noise there, I think, just really epitomises what World Cup sport's all about. And they, People love the underdog. and the, Every World Cup has the underdog story. And whilst the Philippines may not have gone through to the, the knockout stage, though, just to re- record that win and their first goal was unbelievable. And as Al, as you said, mate, just the goosebumps. Even sitting here now listening, we weren't there like you were, but the noise was the first thing that got me. Yeah, look, even the next game when we played Norway, and we're talking, and again, just a perspective, we're talking about a country who's almost taken zero interest in football, or very close to zero, apart from a core, the hardcore group of uh, fans who follow a sport around. The next game we played Norway, which is a traditional superpower in, in women's football, and certainly a history in football, you know, Haaland and all these other <laughs> males who have come from Norway, and there was 34,000 people at Eden Park, and easily 30,000 were Filipino fans. So it was like a home game on New Zealand soil, and just to feel that and hear that was, was you know, it's just the stuff that sends uh, shivers down your spine. So, you know, it was a, it was a moment we'll, we'll remember forever, and, you know, it's a shame we couldn't get a result that night, but what we did for the game again, hopefully it's a game-changer for them forever. Yeah, and with a population of over 100 million, you imagine what it can do if they harness that sport and fall in love with it. You know, speaking of falling in love, so I'm not sure about you guys, but for me, I haven't just watched the Matildas. Every night I try to see who's playing and, you know, there's been some incredible games. We probably, Stad saw, I'd say, one of the biggest upsets in FIFA Women's World Cup history. Germany go out and it's courtesy of a one-all draw with South Korea and then... The other game that was being played around about the same time, Morocco get a result against Colombia. And so Germany are out before the round of 16. Could have given me a million to one. <laughs> a million to one for Germany to bow out in the group stages. And, and Brazil, um, you could have given me another million to one. Um, America, only by the, the width of the Ooh. post, when they were out as well. You know, Portugal hit the post in the 92nd minute. And, and I guess, Steve, this is why why the world just loves this game, you know. And, and you know, you, as you know, I'm a massive rugby league fan. I love all my sports, my crickets and, and everything else. But there's not really any other sport that can just do what football can. Where, where football's a religion in, what, 80 90% of these countries and they carry the hopes of each nation and, and it's even happening in the women's game. And this is really 
the first time that so many countries have elevated the importance of women's football as well. And, and we're just seeing what we do in men's football now, where, where it's a carnival for five or six weeks and anyone can beat anyone. And, you know, the nations ride their fortunes on the back of their football team. And, and, and it's how good is it to see, you know, in a country like Australia, where we've got such a big immigrant population, to see these stadiums full uh, to watch women's football is beyond what people imagined, probably even just four or five years ago. Yeah, I think Johnny Warren, you know, he once said it's the sleeping giant and it's awa- it's awoken in 2023. Gary's got the next question, but just on Brazil, I think my son said, Dad, you've got to watch the interview with Marta afterwards. And it was translated, but he said it's one of the great speeches that you'll hear and just so gracious from a legend. Gary? Yeah, look, I think it's very interesting. Look at the World Cup and you know, three of the top 10 ranked teams are out in Germany, Canada and Brazil. But you look at the three big the big upsets, I suppose, or the three, you know, the underdog stories that are going to get through. You've got South Africa, who are ranked 54, Jamaica, 43, Nigeria, 40, have all qualified through to the round of, of 16. So I think it just shows, Alan, that, that you know, the, the tops and the bottoms are getting closer in women's football. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think there was a, <clears throat> pardon me, a big gap uh, for a long period of time where the top 10 were significantly better than everyone else. And, you almost see that in women's tennis a little bit as well, where the top players are just so much better than than even just the next rung down. Uh, but that depth has just been fulfilled over the last three or four years. And so many countries are investing so much more time and energy and resources into women's football. And you know, over the next four or five years, I, I can just see it going you know through the roof throughout throughout the world. And once these countries, you know, to see a country like Morocco, who you know, is a Muslim-based country and giving the opportunity to young girls to play at the same level that their boys are is, is again, just something that was staggering and mind-blowing just even three or four years ago, uh, let alone happening today in 2023. So, you know, it's great to see that everyone has the opportunity to enjoy the game and love the game and play the game and, and connect the game like, like we all have been for our whole lives. So, you know, it's a it's a tremendous occasion. I think it's really a watermark for for women's football around the world. You know, I think the whole world's really taken it taken it to heart and, and the TV ratings and the crowds just go to show that there is an appetite for it. Stadge, I know you've got other media commitments. You've got to give us your thoughts on Matildas versus Denmark Monday. I see it's 8.30pm, but against Canada, I feel like a lot of the Matildas found their touch. So Caitlin Ford on that left side was dynamite and... Someone told me she was rated like a, an 8.5 in a player rating, which I absolutely, I hate the player ratings because I think she was a, a high nine. She was superb. Yeah. But Mary Fowler, after a slow start, got on the ball and I think Canada played Mary Fowler into form. So we had girls all over the pitch that played beautifully. Uh, the captain, outstanding again as well. So can you preview that game for us? Yeah, look, I'll just go back to what I said pre-tournament. I don't know if you heard me talk before the tournament. For me, Australia are probably the strongest team in the World Cup on paper. Uh, they've got so many weapons around the field that other countries just don't have. You know, you've got Steph Catley and Ellie Carpenter at left and right back who are unbelievable football and just give so much quality and momentum and speed. Um, Caitlin Ford, for me, is one of the best footballers in the world, if not if not in the top two or three. Um, and her form before she got injured just even a month ago was probably, she was the best player in the Matildas over the last five or six months. So when I see her play like that, it's, it's, it's not really a surprise. And if Sammy comes back in, there's no reason why this team can't go on and, and win it. You know, So whether it's Denmark or 
France or England. Um, you know, I think they can beat anyone on the day. And the World Cup's closer now, so they could lose any game or lose any moment. But for me, on paper, they're, and especially being at home, I, I certainly think they're one of the favourites to win the whole thing. Are you surprised uh, the coach didn't play Alex Chidiak the other night? No, not really. It's hard to know when you're not there at training. It's very easy on the outside to say who could and who shouldn't and, and, and all that kind of stuff, like we know. Um, so you don't know who's been training well and who hasn't. But, you know, they're decisions they make on the on, on the day and you live and die by some of those decisions sometimes. But, you know, it's hard to fault the performance of the team. The, the only caveat I'll have on that performance the other night was that I think Canada's been in a bit of disarray. You know, there's been a lot of disputes within the team, with the federation, with you know, some some things that they've been demanding over the last four or five months and, you know, I'd even heard a rumour where some of that surfaced even the night before the game. So, you know, it's good to take a 4-0 win, but, you know, you start the next game at nil all and, and both teams, you know, obviously everyone will be fighting for their life in every game. Hey, Stadge, uh, it's entirely up to you, but I've kind of followed the media talk. Uh, would you like to say anything about your next opportunity that could be coming up? In terms of what? <laughs> Oh, well, where you're heading next, my friend, but uh, it's entirely up to you. Oh, look, I'm excited. You know, obviously I spent a few years up there and having you harass me almost weekly at the Mariners. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, off, off to the Wild West now. I'm Perth Glory and really excited, you know, and, and a lot of similarities to, to the Mariners, you know, a club that, that, you know, probably should be doing better and one that was a heavyweight of, of the old National League and hopefully, you know, we can turn that club around and, and show some stability and ambition and aspiration and, and bring it back to the place where it should be. Yeah, I tell you, the talent in WA, they're the sleeping giant of the competition. And, mate, you should take a bow for all the work you did to get the Mariners to the promised land in 2023. We've said that numerous times on this show, that you laid the foundation. So uh, hopefully you've, you know, hopefully you've had some time to reflect on just what, what an incredible job you did here in the Mariners getting the job done this year against Melbourne City. Yeah, look, I loved it. I loved it and spent the night with uh, Sean in, in the box there and couldn't be any prouder of what they've done. And, you know, the job that Monty and Serge have done and Sean in guiding the club to that level, you know, and, and competing against clubs with so much more resources um, and to be able to win the comp and in the fashion they did was just remarkable. So... You know, Monty and I have stayed in touch the whole time and couldn't be happier for him and prouder of the club. So, you know, congrats to them. And, you know, on the pitch, they'll be an enemy for two or three games. But other than that, you know, couldn't be happier for when they win. Yeah. Gee, you've been rocking the beanie through the uh, FIFA Women's World Cup. <laughs> you been New Zealand, by the way. <laughs> hey, uh, thanks again, mate. I know you've got to go. You've got other commitments. But congratulations on what you've done with the Philippines, creating history. Congratulations on the new gig as head coach of the Perth Glory, and thanks for your time. I nah, appreciate it, and I'll see you guys around. Alan Stachich.